from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, what's up, and good evening. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And if you want to chime in that way, feel free to do so. If not, you can chime in on the phone. Yep, 833-482-5337, 833-482-5337. Now, I want to uh, go over a couple of things, right? Because we've got the, what is it that we've got? We've got the Durham report. Uh, yes, I'm not done with the Durham report just yet. Uh, yesterday, I'd played for you that Jake Tapper cut. I will play it a few more times just to, um, I don't know, remind you, to remind the world, remind America that this is um, vindication, if you will, for so many people. But I want to um, direct your attention to some of the the backlash, right? You've got Peter Stroke and Andrew McCabe. They're all over television, um, just vehemently disagreeing, his words, not mine, with the Durham report saying that, you know, we actually had the information to open a probe. Well, all I could say is, I mean, they had a whole special counsel. There was allegations of this from the Trump people that said, hey, this isn't happening. This isn't this. There were congressional um uh, you know, there was a Devin Nunes when he led that investigation with Cash Patel. And um, they said that back then. And John Durham went and found the same exact thing. So sounds to me like Peter Stroke and Andrew McCabe are full of it. But I want you to hear this clip uh, from Andrew McCabe on CNN yesterday, uh, vehemently disagreeing with the Durham report, saying we actually had enough information to open a probe. Yeah, I vehemently di- disagree with uh with Mr. Durham's characterizations of what we did in the report. And it's it's very simple. He, he betrays a deep misunderstanding of not only what we knew at the time, but how we make these decisions. I think it's incredibly important for people to understand what we were seeing then. And it was basically this, uh, Anderson. We had known uh, and we'd known for over a year that the Russians had been attacking us in cyberspace, specifically at political institutions and government institutions. We knew in the beginning of 2016 that they had turned those attacks on the Democratic National Committee and they had stolen and exfiltrated a large amount of information from the DNC. And we knew that they then went on to use that information to weaponize it to hurt Hillary Clinton's campaign by releasing it on the eve of her convention. Then... In July, at the end of July, we learned that months earlier, before that information was released, a member of the Trump campaign, George Papadopoulos, uh, told a uh, representative of a friendly foreign government, a trusted friendly foreign government, that they had been offered exactly that assistance by the Russians. So we knew what the Russians took. We knew how the Russians used it. And then we learned that the Russians offered to do exactly what they had done before they did it to the Trump campaign. So with that information, not unverified intelligence, actual information, we opened a full investigation. And everyone who has looked at what we did other than John Durham determined that that decision 
was absolutely appropriate. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And he knows it, right? Because he, here's the problem, right? The First of all, the, the information that they're talking about, this information was with respect to him lying, right? That's, that's what's happening. He's lying about the whole thing. And the reason I say he's lying is because the... The, we now know that this information, where it where it came from, we know that the, the Hillary Clinton campaign was the uh, the genesis of it, saying find this dirt, hiring Christopher Steele, offering him a million bucks, making it look like something that it wasn't. And and they knew then that these were media reports that were brought together that weren't even verified media reports, right? I mean, right now I could go, I could find media reports saying that you know so and so eats children. Now I know some of you listening to this show would say, but that's true. They do eat the children. Okay, maybe some people do, but not everybody's eating children. And my point is, there's a lot of fake, phony fraud news out there, and that's why it's important for us to get it right. And they didn't get it right. So to say that they had the, this, the predicate that they needed to, to open the case, uh, I, I think is, is, uh, is BS, and I think most people would agree. In fact, uh, the great one, Mark Levin, was one of the first to, to piece this together, saying it seemed like this was a series of leaks coming out of Washington, and he eventually deduced that this was, uh, his words, a silent, soft coup. Uh, and it's it's a shame to see that we went through that. Thankfully, nobody was overthrown uh, just yet. You know, I mean, they, they weren't, they didn't succeed in getting rid of Trump that time, uh, but they didn't give up. But it's just fascinating to see how that happens. And now they're playing damage control because like all good FBI agents, they took jobs at CNN and MSNBC when they retired, right? Oh, wait, you mean all FBI agents don't do that? Of course they don't. But you do when you're a deep state operative. Now, I don't like to throw around these terms like deep state. Uh, I, I, I'd settle better for administrative state. And again, I realize it's semantics, but uh, deep state gives this connotation that um, it, it may not exist or that it might be some sort of fake, phony fraud, the uh, fantasy land. And, and I... I I'm trying to draw the uh, parallel here or the distinction that there are people in government, and maybe if you've never worked in government, you'll just never believe me, but there are these people in government that make the government go round irrespective of whoever is president. And, and um, you know, just to share a brief story with you, you know, I was brought into the state government in New Jersey by the, the governor, Christy, uh, Chris Christie, and the Christie administration. So when I worked in, in that, that government, everything was hunky-dory until, this is a true story, until somebody who was very active with the unions and, and, um, and a, a very a prominent Democrat saw that I had gone to Drumthwack at the governor's mansion uh, for the Christmas party, the governor's Christmas party, and he looked over my shoulder, and I was looking, you know, I, I had gone on the receiving line to say hello to the governor and the first lady, and, uh, and they take a photo of you and then they post it on the website. So I was looking to see if the photo was there. I wanted to download it, share it on social media, that type of thing. Excuse me. And uh, what, what ends up happening is he sees that and this guy was incredibly offended. This was like an affront to his soul. He looks at me and says, why were you there? What were you doing there? And then did they make you go to that? And I said, no, nobody made me go to that. I got invited to the governor's mansion. Who doesn't want to go? And I was like, the, the food was good. The crowd was good. There was, there was like a jazz band. It was really nice. Very nice Christmas party. And he, uh, and then he quickly puts two and two together and says, oh, so like if you wanted to be there and you were invited there, 
then you're not a civil service employee. You're part of the appointed part of the administration. And, and then I had become now public enemy number one to this guy. He went and told everybody and their mother that I wasn't a regular part of this government, that I was there, uh, you know, on behalf of the administration and they couldn't stand the governor. And ultimately they gave me an incredibly hard way to go pretty much chasing me out of Trenton, to tell you the truth. They made it so difficult for me from just stupid administrative things, changing my travel class, charging me back for reimbursements on tolls. I mean, just crazy things that they did. Uh, and that was just little old me that nobody knew. Some sub-cabinet official in the state governor's administration. Imagine what they did to Trump. Right. So we're going to get into that and how they did it and uh, vindicated yet again America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. He's uh, scheduled to be with us in the next segment to tell us how he was right all along back then. They tried to make an, uh, make him out to be some sort of crazy. Uh, the reality was it was them that were the crazies. And Rudy Giuliani had to write all along. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped, and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It is, regardless, devastating to the FBI, and to a degree, it does exonerate Donald Trump. All right, if you don't know that by heart by now, that's Jake the Fake Tapper. Jake the Fake Tapper from CNN uh, being uh, honest and uh, telling the truth yesterday on CNN. And uh, I thought that was very refreshing. And, of course, I'll be playing that until you're so tired of it, you're threatening to never listen again. But it wasn't just McCabe that was being nefarious on television and saying things like, no, 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 this whole thing wasn't fake. We had plenty of proof. What are you kidding me? Come on. No way. Peter Stroke also um, had lots to say. He went on with Joy Reid and was saying all sorts of things. He says that the Durham investigation never should have even taken place after he was named, of course, in the report. Stroke was fired from the FBI. Now, he leaves that part out uh, because he had these anti-Trump texts that were discovered. Now, you remember, Peter Stroke, this is the guy that between him and his girlfriend, they were texting back and forth. And um, it was, I think that the quote was, we will stop him, whatever it takes, right? Something close to that. And uh, of course, he says, no, the whole, he was right. He should have never been fired. It was Trump that was the bad guy. Anyway, uh, ex-FBI agent Peter Stroke, uh, who was referenced in the report, as I just mentioned, he argues that it exhibited bias and should never have been made, that the report was biased. After four years of research, Durham's 300 page, 316 pages to be exact, his report found that the FBI investigation into Trump's uh, campaign for Russia collusion had a lack of analytical rigor, uh, apparent confirmation bias, and an overwillingness to rely on information from individuals connected to political opponents. I can translate that for you. They were taking information paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, that the campaign hired the law firm Perkins Coie. Thank you. And then they decide, okay, we're going to go ahead and use this propaganda information that's drawn on fake news to go after a sitting president. Now, at that time, 
Trump's then attorney, Rudy Giuliani, says, no, that's fake, phony and fraud. And he he uh, was skewered in the media. They say Giuliani's this, that and the third. He's crazy. And most people remember America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, as the guy who took on the mob, the guy who cleaned up New York City, the guy who got New York City through 9-11 when the terrorists attacked us. And all of that was thrown out the window all because Rudy Giuliani decided to defend Donald Trump and to to take to the airwaves, to tell it like it was, because he was a, a, first of all, he was a a deputy AG in the Reagan administration, and he was a United States attorney for a long time. So all of that expertise for naught, all because of Trump. I think not. That's why I want to bring in America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, to to take a victory lap, because it turns out, mayor, you were right all along. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I'm amazed that it took so long uh, and did a lot of and taking so long. Uh, Durham did a lot of damage. I mean, this should have been out by the time of the 2020 election. There's very little mm-hmm. that uh, d- very little that was developed after after. Um, I mean, a- after 2020, it was all available and known. Right. He could have come to this judgment before, and I just can't help but think it was deliberately held up. But uh, to take this long for what we got is really uh, unexplainable. But the reality is what we got is this was completely made up. It was created. It was created by Hillary Clinton. Um, The amazing thing is Obama, Biden, all of them knew about it. They knew about it from at least – July of uh, 2020, when Brennan briefed them that Hillary was developing a uh, a, a plot uh, which would involve Russia in order to get the uh, emphasis off her, destroying the emails and smashing up the hard drives. And they just sat there and basically approved it. Fascinating. It's fascinating how the, the media has been a willing participant in this. And what's more fascinating to me, and I know you know this as well as I do, but it, it, does, it it's, doesn't fascinate me any less, is that how people will just buy this stuff hook, line, and sinker and like kind of just see past the facts and just, no, but it's, it's Trump, it's Giuliani, they're bad, orange man bad, he's a Russian agent. Even, even now, they're doubling down on CNN, both McCabe and Stroke, with uh, with this with this rhetoric that no that this was uncalled for this was um, in, inappropriate it shouldn't have even have happened what do you say about that? What I say is McCabe should be in jail. My God, I mean he uh, lied numerous times. He's the one who assigned this ridiculous allegation to uh, Peter Strzok, who he knew was hatchet man against Trump. Uh, the the reality is that. The very first piece of information that came in, the Papadopoulos uh, thing, that, of course, meant nothing, was completely orchestrated by Brennan. I mean, that was a, that was a counterintelligence operation. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the FBI knew from the beginning that it was completely untrue. But they, they certainly figured it. it out in about they figured it out in two or three days and went ahead with it anyway. Because it made political sense for them, because ultimately that was the goal, in my opinion. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the Democrats, Hillary, Biden uh, was going to take care of them. Uh, Trump Trump uh, might actually find out what scoundrels they were. <laughs> 
and uh, the entire intelligence community. Look at what they did with the 51 of them all lying in unison. Uh, that that uh, mm, the hard drive stupid letter. had earmarks of Russian disinformation without even looking at it. They didn't care that that was untrue. They just signed it because they couldn't take the risk of Trump being president and kicking them all out, not just out of government, but out of the positions of power and money that they get when they leave government. Look at how Brennan and, and, and Clapper kept their security clearances so they could make a fortune from from. Uh, from government contractors. Yeah, the, the whole thing is uh, is terrible. And I think so many Americans right now, they're thinking to themselves, how is it that we're able to put good guys in jail, uh, whether it's, um, you know, you name it, you name the good guy. You know, I mean, they, they try to do it to you. They've tried to do it to Trump. They're trying to do it to everybody. And they're they're trying to put good guys in jail, and yet the bad guys seem to not only get a pass where, I mean, at worst, they lose their job, but it's almost like they take a lap and laugh at us going on TV and they telling do. more lies. That's the other thing about this report that is so damaging, I, and I don't, understand, I don't understand Durham. When he concludes it, um, he basically makes it like kind of a minor thing, and nobody's held accountable. He tells this whole story about how they tried to fix two elections, how they tried to remove a president uh, based on false information, which is similar to treason and sedition. And then he says, well, it's, it's just a matter of you got to live up to the rules. You don't even have to change. them." Well, I mean, the reality is, if we keep allowing this, we're going to keep having it. And the proof is right. in the pudding. I mean, since this happened... And nobody got prosecuted. They went ahead and did the same thing in the 2020 election by withholding the hard drives. So they tried to fix 2016 with these false allegations. They almost succeeded. They tortured him as a president. And then mm -hmm. they went ahead and the FBI did the same thing in 2020, in essence, participating in fixing the election because they never were disciplined in the first place. Well, Mayor, stand by right there. I want to get your opinion on on what your uh, I want you to finish your point, obviously. But I also want to get your opinion on Andrew McCabe. He says this whole thing was a political errand. And members of Congress are now saying Democrat members that this whole thing uh, proves nothing. There was no wrongdoing. Stay tuned right here. Rudy Giuliani is with us. We're coming right back. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. America, welcome back. And our guest is Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor. Uh, mayor Giuliani, 
I want to, uh, A, welcome you again. Welcome back to the program. And B, I want you to to listen to a, a very quick clip of Representative Veronica Escobar. She's on CNN yesterday, and she basically says, look, I haven't read the report, but it proves nothing. No wrongdoing. Listen to this. Uh, I have not yet read the Durham report, but I have um, definitely had an opportunity to, to look through some of it. I've heard reports about it. We've spent an awful lot of money as an American government on a report that uh, essentially uh, proves no wrongdoing. But the fact that that uh, Chairman Jordan wants to just continue this shows their their disinterest in really the work of governing. So Democrats in Congress feel that this is a waste of time in providing any oversight uh, over this report and bringing Durham in. What say you? Well, she's obviously a major idiot or a liar. I mean, <laughs> it, it doesn't show wrongdoing. I mean, it, 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 it points out that Hillary Clinton, in order to cover up her own crimes, invented a crime to charge Trump with, paid $1.1 million for it. And got people to lie in order to perpetuate it, that the FBI went along with it, uh, lied to the court numerous times in order to get uh, warrants to invade the privacy of innocent citizens. I mean, I, I can't I can't begin to describe the number of crimes that are in that report. Uh, so to say that is really stupid and, and to say she never read it. She's come to the conclusion that it doesn't contain anything is the, is the height of, I mean, she must be an exceedingly stupid woman. She must be a Democrat. No, well, you know. I don't know if she's a, but obviously she's a Democrat. <laughs> Not all Democrats are stupid. But I she know, really, I'm, I'm being mean. Saying, imagine saying it doesn't contain anything, but I didn't read it. Well, that's the part yeah, I think that's like, just so like, funny. It's here. like Pelosi. It's like Pelosi saying, you know, well, we'll read the bill after we pass it. Yeah. And it's it's so funny to see how, you know, when they when you actually hear it come out of their mouth, you think, man, what is going on here now? Mayor, I, I, I remember working my sources as best I could uh, when this stuff was going down at about you know two years ago or so, three years ago. And I remember people in Washington who like to leak telling me that, listen, nothing's going to come of this. Nobody's going to go to jail. The only thing that will happen is that eventually they will release a report that says, yes, everything that happened is true. Uh, they'll probably redact a lot of names to protect people that are really guilty and and they'll move on. So th- their goal is to the words that they use to me, correct the record, correct the record. And I remember telling people in my immediate circle what I'd heard that, you know, I think all they're going to do is correct the record. And when this report's all over, it's just going to set the record straight. But nobody's going to jail. And people look like they wanted to beat the crap out of me when I said that. And they're like, what do you mean nobody's going to jail? But this is what happened. Well, they would have been wrong had the election come out differently in 2020. This is a function of who controls the Justice Department. And the Justice Department under under Biden is a completely corrupt organization. Of course, they're not going to prosecute crime. If we had an honest uh, attorney general, we would prosecute it. I've worked for two attorneys general. Uh, they prosecuted Republicans and Democrats. I mean, the, the, the fact that it's not being uh, prosecuted is, you know, almost as, ser- as, as serious as what they did. And it encourages just doing it again. 
Uh, I mean, it already has been done again. It was done again in 2020 because Durham and Barr didn't take the necessary steps to prosecute McCabe and Comey certainly should have been prosecuted. Uh, he, he delivered a, a very, very false, uh, deceptive affidavit to the court in order to be able to break into the entire lives of, of, uh, of uh, these individuals, particularly uh, Carter Page. I mean, they did the same thing to me. They, they went and got a, a search warrant. Right. saying that there was probable cause that I committed crimes. And two years later, they said, I didn't commit any crimes. What so they, when they the stole your, your iPad and your cell phones. Yeah, but I mean, what happened to the crimes I committed in order to search me? They go away? I mean, right. obviously, it was, it was a setup from the very, very beginning. Uh, they also have this two uh, different sets of rules, laws for Republicans and Democrats. I mean, you never see them searching anyone uh, look at Hunter, Hunter Biden. Never even. I, I don't. I don't think he's ever had an, a, a search done any any of the places that he lives. Right. I'm not sure they've ever looked at who owns the Biden homes, even though Hunter on record texts that he owns that he that he bought everything as a way of kicking back money to his father, and that he gave half his salary to his father. I mean that that's been. That should have resulted in immediate prosecution of him and his father. It Folks, I just want to remind you. Or, or anybody mm-hmm. else. We're on with Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor. Now, Mayor, uh, I, I agree with you, and I think that we, we, we've got a problem here. And the problem seems to be that we no longer prosecute crime effectively, and we also don't have people that are willing to to do what's right, irrespective of their politics. It seems that there's a, a lopsided approach to what's going on. And it's this political class, whether they be Democrat or Republican, that they decide, you know, we don't prosecute our friends. We have to insulate ourselves so that we can continue the grift that we're working on at taxpayer expense. And we won't allow any outsiders in. And that seems evident. And I don't think that changes unless, you know, we can bring change from the top down for a sustained period of time not just a a quick four years, but we're seeing some people change like Eric Adams. At least he seems to be singing a different tune to me. And I want you to listen to this very quick clip of him saying, where the heck is Biden? Listen to this. Where the heck is the president of the United States? That that is a good question. And I think we all should be asking, uh, why is this happening to a city that was turning itself around and will continue to do so? Uh, This should not be happening to New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles and the other big northern cities. And really should not be happening to El Paso or Brownsville, Texas. No city should be carrying this burden. It's a national problem and it needs a national solution. So that's a New York City Mayor Eric Adams on with Rosanna Scotto uh, wondering where Biden is as New York City is now turning into El Paso, Texas, with illegal immigrants all over the place. Mr. Mayor. Well, he's absolutely right. I mean, the reality is just in the last three or four days, they've had to put veterans out of uh, facilities they're in, Mm -hmm. children, uh, other homeless people who are American uh, responsibilities, American citizens. Uh, they're being pushed out you know, for the migrants. Now, it is true Adams helped to create this by making us a sanctuary city, and not only a sanctuary city, but he would praise us as the best sanctuary city, the best mm-hmm. place to come to. I think he regrets that now, 
And he, I think he re, he's done away with the designation as sanctuary city, which is a good thing. And this is a 100% Biden problem. This didn't exist before Biden came into office. The numbers of illegals that have come in under Biden are not only like much, much worse than Trump, they're much worse than any president in American history. I mean, there's nobody close that, that has allowed our country to be invaded this way. You literally can't have a country if you don't have borders. If anybody can come in and establish themselves as citizens, I mean, in, in New York, they actually voted to give them the right to vote, the illegals. And he supported that. I mean, they, they could just come. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, 10 million Chinese could come in and take over. It's uh, totally ridiculous. Particularly oh, a country like ours, Rich, that's not based on ethnicity or religion. We don't have anything that connects us but our common shared values. And yeah. they have destroyed those values. They're trying to rip us apart of the country. And you know, I don't, we don't have the time. We'll do it another time. But this is exactly what Soros has written about. And it's exactly what Soros wants. And he's the main finance theorist. So can we count on you to uh, run against Eric Adams? <laughs> you can count on me to be back, and I'll explain what I was telling you about uh, how this has been planned. Outstanding. Well, we'll do that. I know you you have to go, but uh, everybody check out Mayor Rudy Giuliani on the radio at four o'clock out of New York City every day. Uh, he does an amazing job. Three o'clock, excuse me. And uh, he, he's fantastic. Uh, I love America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani, and I'm glad that you're here with us tonight, sir. Thank you, Rich. My pleasure. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to discuss what's going on at the border. We're going to continue our discussions uh, throughout the evening as well. Uh, we have um, Jen Kearns joining us a little bit later discussing what's going on in California. Plus, they're thinking of paying $2.3 million to whistleblowers who reveal that the mayor of Seattle is involved in a cover-up over what? Chaz, that autonomous zone. We'll get into that a little bit later. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to John in Elyria, Ohio, WNIR. John, go right ahead. First of all, thank you for taking my question. I You're have welcome. my doubts. Um, um, I want to know, to the best of your knowledge, what does the Durham report say about the meeting between Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, and the Russian spy? Why don't you tell us your view on that? Well, from, from what I've read regarding the results of the uh, Mueller investigation and also the Republican-led congressional investigation, Trump's 2016 campaign chairman and deputy chairman met with a Russian spy and gave that Russian spy their internal swing state polling data and campaign strategy. Does Durham acknowledge that in, in his report? All right. Anything else you want to add to that? Um. No, if you can't answer that in detail now, because I know it's a long report, can you at some point when you get a chance to 
to find out what he does say about it, if anything. Well, I mean, I'll take a look at it. But the, the problem is this is a topic that we've gone over before. And and the, the issue here is this this um, back and forth over whether it was a Russian spy or it was a, it was a set. It's a similar to when they um, they said, hey, look, we have um, some people that want to help the campaign. Right. And they took a meeting with uh, Donald Trump Jr. at Trump Tower and talking about some adoptions and how, you know, the campaign should be aware of the, the problems with adoptions and whatnot that were going on in Russia. And it turns out that this woman's also a Russian spy. Right. And then they find out she's a spy. And then, you know, this is there's a lot to this. Right. So Mitt Romney, and just to go back a little bit, when Mitt Romney was running for president, it's not uncommon for spies to try to reach out to campaigns. This is how they influence what they what, you know, this is their influence operations this is what they do. And they're trying to influence these things. Now, when you have these situations, <clears throat> what ends up happening here is that they, they go after them. And typically there is a, um, some knowledge of this and the secret service chimes in the FBI is involved and they say, Hey, look, don't take this meeting. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. However, um, like they did with, with Mitt Romney when he was running for president, they said, no, 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 don't take this meeting. These people are, you know, they're not the good guys. They're not on the up and up. They're not whatever. Now, when it comes to Trump, it's almost as if they're sending every spy in the world they can and the FBI is like, oh, I didn't know anything about it. Go right ahead. Meet with whoever you want to meet with. Now, I, I don't know the extent of what happened with Rick Gates. Um, I honestly don't. I know Paul Manafort, uh, wh whatever they're alleging, I know what he got in trouble for was not filing the right paperwork in, in overseas uh, lobbying that he did. But the bottom line with all of it, to me, is this is designed to make people look a certain way, right? It's designed to, to try and, and, and ridicule and shame and create this narrative that these people are all a bunch of Russian agents and the, the walls are closing in and Trump is, is the ringleader and he's Putin's puppet and right. And to, to go along with this propaganda. And, and it's a very dangerous thing because from what I can see, it's so far from the truth. Uh, it's not funny. It's very sad and it's dangerous to America. So I think when, when we when we have a bombshell allegation, right, and it's not an allegation, it's a finding. This is a finding by Durham after his, you know, three and a half years, whatever it was, uh, investigation. He produces a report and the report corroborates what's been claimed for several years now by lots of different people through congressional investigations and whatnot. Um, to me, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's such a big deal that Jake Tapper says that this, in effect, vindicates Trump, right? And uh, Jake Tapper is no friend of El Trumpito. So I think this is what, what, what we're looking at is there's all this information. Now, we can sift through this to say that he said this about that one or that this one met with this one and that one. And the reason that they're not significant or significant enough is because they're not. None of that changes the course of events that occurred. The course of events here is very simple, that the FBI doctored an email to get a FISA warrant to spy on then-candidate Trump and then spy or surveil, if that makes it better, to surveil a president who was sitting in office. And this is crazy. This outweighs anybody meeting with anybody for them going out for drinks, blow and hookers. None of that matters when you have the FBI being weaponized against a sitting president and in particular, an entire political party or a political ideology of make America great again. 
and to 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 really try and single people out or other them in society as if we're the bad guys when the FBI is breaking the law to try to win elections. If that is lost upon you from this report and all that we can think of is what happened with Manafort, Rick Gates and and meeting with spies, then we need to read the report again, right? We're, we're definitely burying the lead here because that is the headline. So I'm not saying anybody is absolved of their guilt. I'm not saying that there aren't, uh, there isn't fault to go around. What I am saying is that the biggest offense that's here is the FBI, the government, the previous administration, knowing what was going on, the CIA director knowing what was going on, and all of them allowed it to happen. And it's in black and white without redactions for you and everybody else to read. And that is un-American, in my opinion. Anyway, John in Elyria, Ohio, thank you for your call. WNIR, big shout out to everybody listening from Ohio. And we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and uh, we were talking about what's happening with uh, all sorts of things uh, with respect to the report from Special Counsel John Durham. And um, our caller, John from Elyria, Ohio, uh, raised a couple of points. I haven't read this uh, entirety of the report, but I'm looking at page 240 of the report, and I just want to share something with you. And this is a direct quote from the Durham report. As discussed throughout this report, one of the key allegations contained in the Steele reporting, and which would later underpin Lisa Page's FISA applications, was the existence of, quote, a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation, end quote, between the Trump campaign and Russian leadership. This alleged conspiracy uh, purportedly was managed by campaign manager Paul Manafort using Lisa Page and and others as intermediaries with the Russians. Excuse me, Page, not Lisa Page. Uh, on its face, this was shocking and serious and a serious allegation of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. However, as discussed in detail above, during the first recorded meeting between Page and confidential human source number one, Page never once indicated that he maintained a relationship with Manafort, despite several efforts by a confidential source um, to establish such a relationship. In fact, Page explicitly denied ever having met or spoken with Manafort. While Page said he had sent a couple of emails to Manafort during his time on the campaign, he noted that Manafort did not respond to any of these emails. Those assertions made by Page could not could have been easily corroborated through basic investigative steps and legal process, but were never undertaken. That's footnote 1387, by the way. So... It's right there, plain as day, that what's alleged never really even happened. And that's the gist of the report. It's a sad day for America. We're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's my pleasure to be with you again for hour number two. And thanks for joining us. If you want to join the show, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Or you can uh, drop a comment online at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Now, the uh, some of the headlines that we've got going on right now, uh, the Durham report, uh, we're, still, uh, we're still on that. There's uh, uh, additional reporting now saying that the... The FBI offered to pay Christopher Steele a million bucks for his anti-Trump evidence, and uh, it was paid a possible Russian spy despite knowing the information was bad. So we'll, we'll continue to go down that road a little bit later. Uh, plus, uh, of course, there's still no um, no clear sign of a deal between McCarthy and Biden on the uh, debt ceiling, so that continues to loom. And there's some interesting news coming out of Seattle. Now, I know Seattle is is always plagued by some kind of crazy. um, And whether it's blood banks in Seattle that can't keep up with uh, the demand because of so many shootings or the the post office saying, hey, look, we're not going to deliver mail anymore because postal theft is going so crazy. But there's also this story that's this is the big one to me. Seattle's about to pay two point three million dollars to whistleblowers who revealed that the mayor was engaged in a Chaz cover-up by deleting text messages. Now, you remember Chaz. That was what formed during the Summer of Love. That was when they took over the police station and then took over that whole block and said, no, this is an autonomous zone, and we're in charge, and I'm the boss, and the guy with the AK-47 or whatever it was, it was just a crazy situation that happened there. And um, somebody who I think is a very smart person, who's a great commentator, who's uh, always on Newsmax, he's... He, delivers great commentary on Newsmax, and he's got an excellent column that he uh, puts out uh, regularly on on the Postmillennial, postmillennial.com, which is a source that I, I, I can't live without. I'll tell you that. I, I check out the stories on Postmillennial every single day. Ari Hoffman, he's also a radio host, but he's with us now. Ari Hoffman, welcome. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet, brother. Thanks for staying up late. I know not everybody likes to stay up too late, uh, but being, I guess, in Seattle, it's a little bit earlier for you than it is for some of us. But tell me about this article you've written. You've got this story, uh, Seattle to pay out $2.3 million to whistleblowers who revealed that the uh, mayor engaged in Chaz cover-up by deleting text messages. Yeah, let's go back in time for a little bit. One good thing about Washington State is they have excellent FOIA request laws, Freedom of Information Act, which we call Mm -hmm. public disclosures. So what happened was myself and a bunch of other people want to know exactly what was going on behind the scenes during the summer of love, during the autonomous zone, the deadly autonomous zone, where six people were shot, two people were killed, all were black teens, rapes, robberies, all went up 250%. It was out of control. 
So we filed these public disclosure requests asking for the mayor's text messages and got no responsive requests, which is odd. You'd be like, what do you mean? You have no text messages for the entire month? And then we found out it wasn't just her. It was also the former police chief, Carmen Best. It was also the fire chief, Harold Scoggins. It was also other high-ranking city officials. And all these texts were missing. So Seattle Hmm. Times filed a lawsuit to say, hey, what's up with this? And the mayor's office kept making excuses like I'm having technological difficulties or I dropped it in a tide pool or, oh, I didn't know it was set to delete, but this was intentional. It was all done. And then this specifically got cited with regard to multiple other lawsuits that are going on against the city for the summer of love and the riots and the autonomous zone. And what happened was a federal judge sanctioned the city over the missing texts. Now, what that means is in context of all these lawsuits, what that means is that at any case, the jury would be instructed to treat the fact that this evidence was missing as an admission of guilt. And there's no way you can win a case with that. So the city starts settling all these lawsuits. They are already up to, by my math, somewhere between 11 and $12 million they've had to pay out over these lawsuits just since that judge's ruling. Now, this latest one is apparently there were two whistleblowers in the mayor's office who said, wait a minute, why don't we have these texts? We need these texts because they're the people who are tasked with filling out the Freedom of Information Request Acts, the Public Disclosure Request Acts. They're the ones who are who provide that to the public or the media or whoever requests them. And when they said, hey, something's wrong here, then they went and told somebody, hey, this is wrong. And then immediately the mayor's office started retaliating against them. Apparently, the bullying and retaliation got so bad that they had to leave the job and they were suing for back pay, legal fees, everything else. And they won a two point three million dollar verdict against the city. Wow. And and again, this was back when it was uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin. She was the uh, the, the crazy uh, commie sympathizer, right? Well, she's not quite a communist. <laughs> she's, uh, there's, there's another woman who's on the Seattle City Council who's actually a communist slash Marxist. Uh, maybe I'm no, confusing Jenny Durkin, her with her. Yeah, so Jenny Durkin, she was your typical classic liberal. Um, but what happened was with her, it was, well, which way are things going? And she, she proved during this whole thing she had no idea what she was doing. I mean, who lets... Who, who decides to make the decision to abandon a police precinct because the rioters are telling you to do it? And then after that, once they've seized control of six blocks of your city, at what point do you say, hey, I need the National Guard? And her employees in the Parks Department and elsewhere were begging for the National Guard to come in do something about this. There's no, we don't know if she even asked the governor for it because there's no record of it. And meanwhile, was giving the the rioters whatever they wanted. I mean, she ended up having to pay them off in millions of dollars in, in promises of money that she defunded from the police department to get them to leave the autonomous zone. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I find it fascinating that people think, you know, after the whole Hillary Clinton thing where she scrubbed her server, destroyed the phones and whatnot that you would think people would they, maybe you say, don't do that. It, it ended up becoming a big deal. She almost got caught out there. But no, it seems like nobody cares. They're like, yeah, just delete away, delete away. So what happens now, now that they've, uh, you know, they've got caught with their hands in the cookie jar? Well, remember that Hillary Clinton got away with it, so I don't know what incentive there was to not do it. (laughs) (laughs) happens after that is there's still, um, from what I hear, there's another lawsuit about to be filed. So one was just settled uh, not too long ago 
for one of the teens that was killed inside the autonomous zone for their family to, I believe, half a million dollars. There's another lawsuit I hear is going to be filed for the other teen who was killed on behalf of their family. And now that other lawsuit was settled before all the stuff with the text messages, all these sanctions came out. So this judgment will probably be more. I keep getting public disclosure requests back every day. I just got a few this week that showed me the thousands of dollars that were spent by the city helping out the rioters. I mean, I already knew they spent about a million dollars bringing in barricades to protect the rioters. They spent thousands of dollars on garbage disposal and utilities and you name it. I mean, the city was active in this. You had council members who were setting up tents uh, that the one you mentioned, the communist Marxist one, her name is Kashama Sawan. She was setting up tents in there to get signatures for the city to go tax Amazon. I mean, they were all complicit in this. There's a picture of four or five city council members I haven't looked at in a while, literally standing in the protests with Antifa. You see the Antifa umbrellas behind them marching against their own police department during the riots. The city was complicit in this. City officials were complicit in this. And even when their own employees were saying, this is crazy, it has to stop, they continued pushing forward with it. Unbelievable. Folks, we're on with Ari Hoffman from the Post Millennial. Uh, you, you hear him on radio. You've seen him on TV. He's on Newsmax all the time. He's excellent at uh, delivering very witty commentary. He knows what he's talking about. And Ari Hoffman's with us for one more segment. And I do have a couple more questions because uh, he's got a lot of really good reporting here. And whether it's the city that's been assisting with barricades and assisting with the summer of love and all sorts of crazy or the teachers union helping with their own crazy. Randy Weingarten is uh, now promoting a discount for teachers to future proof their social media accounts by scrubbing anything that might hurt them in the future through uh, a service. And I just find it remarkable that this is what she's doing uh, to help her membership, knowing that they're that radical, that they need this service. (laughs) So Ari Hoffman, stick with us, folks. And again, if you want to ask Ari a question, feel free. 833-482-5337-8334-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Ari Hoffman. He's the afternoon host on Talk Radio 570 KVI in Seattle. And Ari, you've got a piece in the Post Millennial on the teachers union president, Randy Weingarten, promoting a service to scrub teachers' social media history. What's that about? Well, basically, Randy Weingarten realizes that everything is coming back to bite her in the you-know-what. And everybody's calling out everything that happened during COVID, how she keeps claiming, oh, I I never said to shut down the schools and I never stopped them from opening. And I didn't investigate parents. I didn't ask the FBI to investigate parents as domestic terrorists. So the latest thing is she knows what's happening across the country is that all of us in conservative and right leaning media and anybody who's honest in the media is seeing what these psychotic teachers are putting on their social media accounts. And it's being posted by libs of TikTok. It's being posted by people all over the place. And the teachers are getting called out for this insanity, especially when it comes to their hypersexualized education, content and behavior and indoctrination. 
So what she's doing is she's trying to help these teachers scrub their profiles. So she has found this AI program which uses the artificial intelligence to scrub a teacher's social media of anything that could be deemed incriminating. And she even arranged a discount for the teachers and posted it on the American Federation of Teachers, the second largest teachers union in the country, on their website so that way teachers can get rid of it. Now, don't forget, during COVID, when a lot of these teachers, especially from these activist teachers unions like the Chicago Teachers Union, which is they literally sent representatives down to Venezuela to oversee elections. So that tells you who these people are. While they were telling everybody it was too dangerous to go back to school, one of their officers was asked actually in the Bahamas taking pictures of themselves on vacation while telling everybody else it's too dangerous to go back to school. All these things are the kind of things they don't want out there in the world. This is crazy. Now, these are the, the same people that, you know, make policy uh, around allowing kids to have sex changes and abortions and kind of alienating parents. And it's just bizarre to me that, Nobody, I mean, I'm not hearing anybody besides you and this piece, uh, you know, kind of take exception to this. It, it, am I wrong in assuming that? Is it is the status quo in in Washington and Seattle that, um, yeah, that's that's what we do here. Randy Warren she's terrific. Or uh, is there an uprising? Well, basically what you're seeing is the same people who are always mad are always mad. And the people who are calling her out are calling her out. And the people who want to be blind to it are blind to it. And the people who want to follow her are following her. However, it does seem like she and people like Anthony Fauci have less and less support as more of this COVID nonsense is revealed to be complete BS. I mean, I saw an article the other day. I don't even remember who wrote it, but it was something about the best time of day to take your COVID vaccine. And I'm like, wait a minute, this thing that's supposed to be 100 percent effective. What does it matter what time of day do you take the thing for it to be the most effective? Yeah, you know, 99 percent effective or whatever it is. I'm like, how much crazier is this insanity going to get? Well, I mean, I think it gets crazier by the day. Personally, Uh, I saw a clip somebody sent me of uh, a pretty left leaning program where, you know, one of these talk shows with several women on it. I think it's called The Real. And they were debating Bert and Ernie. And uh, the one woman was saying, like, I think it's wrong that that they were, you know, that they weren't promoting that they were gay. And and it just it, it just it was shocking to hear that because I'd never thought Bert and Ernie were gay. And, and it, I just it thought they were roommates. To, right. Yeah, I, I, me too. I was like, I thought they were roommates. They lived together, you know, like cousins or something. Uh, it never crossed my mind. But but this is where we are. And it's like it's almost like if you're not part of that mindset where you're supposed to allow kids to mutilate their bodies, allow parents uh, to, to just take a, a, a seat on the side and don't be involved, they're not really your kids anyway, then you're somehow wrong. And I know you have a piece on um, the, the state's, what, what's being called a state-sanctioned kidnapping law, but uh, it, this is, uh, lamentably, it's not even unique to Washington, but, uh, but it is. Yeah. So we have Senate Bill 5599, which essentially makes it if you identify as a person who's non-binary or you say you're seeking an abortion or gender care surgery or whatever the case may be, and you can use that now to run away from home and Washington state will shield you from your parents. So meaning Washington state will not tell your parents where you are. And even if the kid ends up on the streets, even if the kid ends up in the authorities, you will become basically a ward of the state. 
and Washington State can do whatever you want under those circumstances. So essentially it boils down to one of the people testifying against the bill, who's actually a member of the LGBTQ community, said it is essentially state-sanctioned kidnapping. Now, this to me is is absolute insanity that you have a government allowing this. And I don't know, like, what what recourse does a parent have, Ari Huffman? None right now. Some parents are trying to do an initiative to get the bill repealed. But what this is going to do, forget the LGBTQIA plus minus sign, dollar sign, amper stamp, whatever. Forget that community for a second. What this is going to do is increase our homeless problem. And Seattle is known nationally as one of the top three homeless populations in the country. And they have a very large youth homeless population on top of that. So now, if you have kids coming here to seek out this care and they become wards of the state, they're going to end up in shelters or perhaps foster care, perhaps on drugs, perhaps on the streets themselves because they can't take care of the homeless population they have. Washington State has spent billions of dollars over the last decade, excuse me, over the last 16 years, where they said 16 years ago that they were going to cure homelessness in 10 years. It has only gotten exponentially worse in that time. Whereas we used to have 5,000 homeless people, and now we have somewhere closer to between 35 and 50,000 people. We don't even know how many are here. And that's how bad the problem has gotten. And now they want to add more kids into that mix. That's exactly what's going to happen. So I don't know. I just <laughs> I'm blown away by, you know, I, I tend to think things are bad in Jersey or New York. And I hear you and I'm thinking, hey, it's not so bad. It's like a red state over here. Man, it's it, things are really, really bad on the left coast. Uh, thank God for the reporting that you're doing and the work that you're doing out there. Because, man, I, I didn't know a lot of a lot of this, and I only saw that one article. Then it kind of opened up a little uh, rabbit hole for me, and I saw all these other ones. I said, man, things are things are in rough shape. So, Godspeed to guys like you that are doing this uh, yeoman's task in Seattle. Now, Ari Hoffman, let everybody know how they can keep up to speed with everything that you're doing. How they could follow you. If there's a website, tell them where to go. Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at The Hoffather. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as Ari Hoffman Official. You can find my writings at The Post Millennial. And you can listen to my show, The Ari Hoffman Show, on whatever your preferred podcast platform is or over at the KVI app. Outstanding. Uh, again, that's at The Hoffather. That's clever, by the way. I like that one. And uh, Thank you. I follow him. You should follow him, too. I think he's terrific. Uh, Ari Hoffman, I want to thank you for being here and keeping us up to speed. Hopefully you'll uh, stick around one day uh, a little bit late at night and uh, come back and visit us again soon. My pleasure, buddy. You have a great night. You, too. Likewise. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're, we're going to go from Seattle to California to find out what's going on with Gavin Newsom. Apparently, he says this system's unsustainable. Sir, you created the system. Unbelievable. I mean, you can't make this up, but that's what's going on. Don't go anywhere. It's me, Rich Valdez. We're coming back with Jen Kearns, and she's going to discuss the latest crazy from Gavin Newsom. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. America. Welcome back. And um, we're talking about Gavin Newsom admitting that the California system is unsustainable. 
the financial system, which is propped up by Democrats as the model that the rest of the country should be following, is completely unsustainable. And even California Governor Gavin Newsom is now acknowledging that fact. That's in the Washington Examiner. Uh, interesting article there. And when I saw it, I said, you know what? I've got to check in with uh, my resident expert on California because she was the spokesperson for the California Republican Party and uh, speechwriter in the presidential debates. She's also the author of The Real War on Women. Jennifer Kearns, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be with you. In fact, I was when your producers called, I was on a phone call with a West Coast consultant talking about Gavin. So it's like the mafia. You know, you, you can leave California, but you never really get out. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. So talk to us about this um, this this unsustainable system, Jen Kearns. Well, you know, it's so interesting. Remember, it, it was just a year ago, Rich, that Gavin Newsom was doing this dog and pony show, uh, coming out saying, hey, everything's great here. All the things you've heard on Fox News and conservative talk radio uh, about California and how bad it is. This is actually great. We have a a uh, $100 plus billion dollar deficit. Remember that? Post-COVID, uh, Gavin Newsom was saying, hey, California is actually the model state uh, that you want to be like. Uh, and he hmm. said all this stuff you hear about people wanting to flee the blue states, it's not true. People love it here in California. I'm doing a great job. We have this huge, massive $100 billion budget, uh, budget uh, surplus. Well, fast forward to this week. Uh, Gavin Newsom actually had to come out and say, hey, actually, um, this year, we actually have a $32 billion budget deficit. We're minus $32 billion in the hole. And so um, I think uh, what, what he, he did in the post-COVID years was he was taking all that, you know, COVID funding uh, from the federal government, you know, Uncle Joe, you know, getting that 10% for California um, and, and that's how he was really able to stay afloat and sort of manage the, you know, what is basically managed socialism out there. But um, now that that is all gone, now that the COVID emergency funds are all gone, uh, Gavin Newsom's really having to pay for uh, a lot of the socialist programs that they've put into place. And now he's $32 billion in the hole. Coincidentally, uh, it, this all happened at the same time when Gavin uh, decided to head out on a American state tour. He's been uh, going on a whistle stop tour around the country. Uh, you know, he, he's always one whenever he has bad news, he always takes off and leaves the state. Um, he did it when he was mayor of San Francisco and they had a big oil spill, a big oil tanker ran into a part of the Bay Bridge many, many years ago, about a decade ago when he was mayor of San Francisco. He was wheeled up, you know, going to Hawaii with his uh, new fiance, who is now the first lady of California. And various other times he's actually left the state when when he uh, wasn't able to cut mustard in the uh, primary against Jerry Brown for governor of California. He also went wheels up, left the state, left his staff in the dark, you know, basically abandoned his campaign. So third time's the charm. Here he is with a thirty two billion dollar budget deficit, uh, all the chickens coming home to roost for socialism and all those programs in California. And he has left the state once again. So. Um, you always know when Gavin's feeling a little guilty because he goes MIA, and that's exactly what's happened this week. You know, Jen Kearns, I look at this model that you're sharing with us here of, of Gavin doing the dip when when things get heavy. And 
it's somewhat reminiscent of Biden. Like Biden kind of does similar. He just kind of ignores things and hopes they'll go away. But how is it that this doesn't become a campaign ad, you know, like, you know, get up and go Gavin, right. And where they show him leaving, <laughs> cutting and running every single time. Like, how do they not connect those dots? How does he get away with it? <laughs> well, you would be a great campaign consultant because that, that's exactly what they should be doing. Uh, in fact, I've been sort of a logging just as a hobby. I'm not, you know, a, in a consulting game out there anymore, but I've been sort of logging some of the crazy things he's been saying in the liberal states he's going to, where he's talking about, you know, getting rid of cars completely, uh, getting rid of your gas stove, getting rid of your dishwasher, all the crazy things that they're saying, right, about climate change and saving the planet. And um, I've just been logging those for sport because someone at some point is going to need that, right? Um, but it, it you have nothing else. What, it's great for the radio. Yes, right, right. <laughs> um, and um, and I do have a show that that still goes on in California, so um, that does come in handy. Uh, but look, I, I think by and large the uh, political structure in California is so heavy, and you know this, you know, being in New York uh, for so many years. It's just so heavy towards the Democrat. You know, it's basically a one-party state in California. That's how it goes. Uh, and, and here's the interesting thing about Gavin. He, he has this very uh, similar trait to Joe Biden in that he's very nasty and he's very retaliatory. And those two now, Gavin Newsom is governor of the largest state in the country, and Joe Biden in the White House, they have actually now joined forces. And so what happens is, um, you know, I hear from people in, you know, various parts of California, um, including, you know, the oil uh, country there in the central part of California. And they share with me, they say, hey, this is actually a retaliatory thing. If we comment back on something, if we say something publicly about Gavin Newsom and all the, you know, climate change stuff he's trying to do, guess what happens the next morning if you dare to take on Mr. Hairgel the King you get a letter from the EPA the next day, the Environmental wow. Protection Act. I mean, it is it is hand-in-hand hand, tandem. This is what the Democrats are doing today. It's probably not just Gavin Newsom and, and Joe Biden. This is the nasty, nasty game that Democrats are playing. If, if you dare to say something bad about somebody, again, they didn't do anything. They just, you know, someone was on the news saying something. They said, sure enough, hand-in-hand, hand, the next morning by 10 a.m., we, we were getting a letter from the EPA about our use of water or something. So um, this is, you know, again, it goes back to the socialist society, right? This is how the leaders in socialist countries behave, and that is how you're seeing uh, the Democrats behave. You, you see it in the Hunter Biden probe. Uh, some, some of the uh, people just got pulled off of the Hunter Biden probe at the request of the DOJ. This is how it happens in the Joe Biden administration. This is why we've got to work really, really hard uh, to make sure that Joe Biden doesn't win a second term, because if he does and we have four more years of this, boy, our country is going to look a lot different by 2028 than it does now. I, I agree with you. And and I, it's interesting how, you know, Biden, excuse me, Newsom has blown through this um, $32 billion. He's a deficit here, $10 billion more than previously estimated. And and we're, we're seeing the same type of spending at the federal level. And um, another California Republican, Kevin McCarthy, he's kind of stuck to his guns here in his negotiations with Joe Biden. But it seems like we're still at a stalemate. So I want to get your take on that straight ahead. Don't go anyway, folks. We're on with 
Jennifer Kearns. She's the author of The War on Women. She's got a radio show. You see her on TV all the time. Former spokeswoman for the California Republican Party. She's with us, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. have taken default off the table because the House Republicans passed a bill that raised the debt ceiling, limited our future spending, uh, saved taxpayers money by being able to pull back um, unspent money and waste and actually grow our economy by making our economy stronger and helping lifting people out of poverty into work. And so those are the parameters we'll talk about. So McCarthy talking to reporters there, he says we collectively should be able to get together. Unfortunately, we had to wait 97 days to get in a room and come to an agreement. And there's still a stalemate. He's not very optimistic about debt ceiling negotiations, saying there's no movement on the issue. Jennifer Kearns, uh, what what do you think is going on here? I mean, I, to me, it seems like politics as usual. They they want to prolong the the debt ceiling in so much as trying to hang it around the necks of Republicans. Do you agree? Disagree? What are your thoughts? Yeah, politics as usual, except for one X factor, Rich, and that Mm -hmm. is Kevin McCarthy is a major fighter. Uh, That is something um, I've known going back to 2003 when uh, we were all in the state legislature. He was the Republican leader of the state legislature. And um, this this is exactly why I think Kevin McCarthy is the right speaker for for this time. You know, when McCarthy was up for speaker, I think I was on your show, in fact, and we were talking about, you know, is Kevin McCarthy going to be conservative enough for some of the base of the Republican Party? Is he going to be a fighter? And the answers to both of those were yes and yes. Um, And and I think you're starting to see, and, and I knew this just from knowing Kevin and going back, you know, 20 years uh, with, with he and his team, uh, when Kevin started to lay the groundwork and, and say back in February, gee, I'm just trying to get a meeting with this guy, Joe Biden up there on the Hill, I guess he's too busy for me. I knew exactly what Kevin was doing. He was starting to lay the groundwork. And I think he achieved a big victory for Republicans this week. And today, the White House, sure enough, said Joe Biden will be cutting his G7 trip in half so he can come back and meet with Kevin McCarthy. That tells me one thing that the polling at the White House is awfully bad for Joe Biden, and it's pretty good for Republicans and for Kevin McCarthy, who's been on TV for the last 97 days saying, hey, I'm just trying to get a meeting with you to sit down and talk about this before, you know, the United States of America goes off a fiscal cliff. And, you know, it, it is the right approach, in my opinion, to, to do this, right, to, to remind America, you know, he has this bully pulpit of speaker, so I'm glad, you know, one of the quotes in this article I'm looking at says, I appreciate the president finally willing to talk after 97 days. That That's the key, right? I think it's to remind them that, hey, look, I'm here. I'm in Washington. You know, I'm here at the swamp. Where are you? And uh, again, I get it. I just don't know. I mean, some people have disagreed with me saying it doesn't matter what we do or what we say. They've got the media on their sides and they're going to blame it on Republicans no matter what. Um, I I think that's not the case. Uh, but do, do you think, do you think that's the case that the media t- turns us around, spins it, makes McCarthy the bad guy and Biden the good guy? 
Well, I think the media's already uh, been trying to make Kevin McCarthy the bad guy, but here's the one thing that Kevin McCarthy does that, that spins it around on them. You see how many press availabilities Kevin McCarthy has. He had four press availabilities today, one at the White House, one on Capitol Hill, one at another location, and then uh, some in the hallway. You can just see him walking down the hall of the, the Capitol talking to about 20 reporters in tow. He's not hiding. All of the questions. Yeah, he's not hiding. He's there. He wants to talk about the issue. He wants to, you know, um, get the debt ceiling uh, vote uh, settled. His House already passed the debt ceiling vote. So um, it's really off of his table right now. It's really uh, squarely on Joe Biden's desk. And I think the White House is starting to feel that pressure. And, And the reason they're starting to feel that pressure, remember, for the House of Cards fans out there, remember that when Kevin Spacey was uh, training for the role in House of Cards when it started many years ago, he went and shadowed one person, and that was his namesake, another guy named Kevin. It was Kevin McCarthy. And that is how Kevin Spacey came up with this dastardly uh, character who you know, was uh, playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers. And I think that's a little bit of what you're seeing here with McCarthy. He's definitely got Joe Biden kind of back on his heels. I also happen to notice today, Rich, uh, Mitch McConnell was also standing with Kevin McCarthy at one of those four press avails today. Oh, Mitchie boy was looking at Kevin like, huh, this guy's running circles around people. So I think it's a good example, not just um, for you know Mitch McConnell to see, but for the Republicans to see. Look, we've got a fighter in Washington, D.C. We've got someone who's on top of it, who knows how to work the media back on themselves. And uh, who is, you know, skunking the White House to the point where they've now changed half of their G7 trip to come back home so they can talk to Kevin McCarthy and hopefully get this settled. Big win for McCarthy, in my opinion. Now, uh, Jen Kearns, I want to I know you don't have a crystal ball, but how do you think this ends up? Do you you think that Biden pushes towards default or is what McCarthy's saying today that we've taken default off the table? uh, Do you think that's a given? Well, I certainly think everyone in in the room who's negotiating in good faith, and I think that's Kevin McCarthy and, and most of the people at this table, are hoping for no default. And I think that's, that's ultimately, I think that's what we'll get. But I do think there's this element in the Biden White House, right, these uh, Obama holdovers, uh, these these people like Saul Omarova. I remember he wanted to appoint to the Treasury, and she's like, I hope these you know, oil and gas companies go bankrupt and we right. should have central <laughs> banking. And there is a radical element that there, there's this radical thread that goes through this Biden White House. And there's a part of me that believes uh, some of these folks actually want the United States of America to fail. They want capitalism to fail. They want our banking systems to fail because they want to replace them with socialism and, you know, sort of a central headquartered uh, banking system and, and, so, and I think Joe, because he's sort of, you know, this empty vessel, he's not quite cognitively all there, perhaps. He sort of goes along with this stuff. And I think that's extremely dangerous uh, when you're talking about whether the United States of America can actually falter uh, on its debt. That, that is a really scary place to be. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's really well put. Uh, really well put. I don't think there's anybody who knows how this ends up. And you're right. There's an element, uh, you know, I call it the left within the Democrat Party. And they they are radical and they've never seen a capitalist they didn't hate. And, and they'd be happy <laughs> to just topple this whole thing, in my opinion. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm biased. But no, you're, you're uh, right. And if I could add this, if I, you know, sure. I always uh, track the polls. 
there was a really interesting poll, and I wrote about it in my new book. Um, there, there's this frightening poll that, that says 65% of Generation Z now believe capitalism doesn't work. And they think that socialism, uh, conversely, does work and is a better system than capitalism. Think about that. 65% of Generation Z believes capitalism doesn't work. Why is that? Well, that's because uh, four and a half years ago, as we sit here, uh, a woman named AOC and three of her friends uh, who became the squad got elected and they began pushing socialism. They began talking about how capitalism doesn't work. We shouldn't have to pay our landlords. We shouldn't have to pay our bills. Then we had three years of COVID. Think of the quickening of this and how quickly these generations, these sort of got uh, this in their minds and saw really playing out on some of their mm-hmm. television screens that capitalism doesn't work, according to AOC. And that is a really frightening place to be. And mm-hmm. we, you saw the turnout, right, of the Generation Z and the college-age kids in the midterm oh, yeah. elections. Jen Kern, stand by right there. We're going to take a quick pause because what you're bringing up is what I wanted to talk about in the next segment with uh, this rush towards anti-capitalism. So we're going to get to that and more with Jen Kern. She's the author of The War on Women. Make sure you pick up two copies of that book. We're coming right back. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So, Jen Kearns, but when we, uh, before we paused, we, you were talking about how the Gen Z folks believe that socialism's the way, capitalism doesn't work. I'm looking at a piece in Fox News that says a Canadian anti-capitalist cafe with a pay-what-you-can model is shutting down after only being open for a year. Uh, it's I think it's called The Anarchist in Toronto. Previously described itself as an anti-capitalist, anti-colonial uh, cafe coffee shop. Uh, radical community space on stolen land. <laughs> uh, in the minute we have remaining, Jen Kearns, what do you think? Is capitalism dead in America? No, I, I think it's uh, better than ever. And you know how I know that? I look across the country. I look at people who think that states like New York and California are crazy for wanting to outlaw gas stoves. Uh, they think they're crazy uh, for the White <laughs> House suggesting we should give up our dishwashers. Americans still love choice. They still love freedom of choice, even when it comes down to something that may sound as silly as the dishwasher. Uh, these are all things that uh, are are allowed to us, God given to us, right? Because we were born in America. You want to talk about socialism? I'll, I'll mm-hmm. end with this. In the Soviet Union in the 1950s, when the rest of the country was uh, humming along quite nicely with new cars and new appliances and new homes, um, it, you had to wait a year for a new refrigerator in the Soviet Union. And if you were lucky uh, to, to get one, you had to take a lottery ticket. And if you didn't pick it up that day that they told you to come pick it up, you had to wait you were, and you get were back screwed. for another year. Yeah. <laughs> Jen Kearns, thank you for joining us. Pick up her book, The Real War on Women. Jen Kearns, my pleasure. Thank you for being here. And folks, Open Phone America is coming up straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. We'll be right back. 
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Give us a call, join the show, our late night national town hall forum, 833-482-5337-833, the number four, Valdez is the phone number, or you could chime in online at Rich Valdez with an S, and it is Tuesday, right? Or it was Tuesday. I'm in New York, so we're just switching from Tuesday to early Wednesday, but we stick with Tuesday around here. And uh, there's a bunch of uh, noticias that are out there. Um, the uh, U.S. Take two. The U.S. Attorney for the District of Massachusetts is stepping down amid an ethics probe. This is Biden's guy that he put in, and um, we'll see how that plays out. Maybe we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, you also have a a bipartisan bill that came out that uh, would declare fentanyl a national security threat and allow the Pentagon to take action on cartels. Well. It's about time. I mean, I think Trump talked about this and people know you're a totalitarian dictator, blah, 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 blah. Now Biden's uh, looking to do the right thing. It seems like whenever Biden's in a bind, he kind of always reverts back to, you know, what would Trump say? What would Trump do? And it seems to actually uh, work. So that is uh, interesting. Then we've got the um, Durham report. Uh, Again, um, I love it. I think it's terrific. It's a, it's a great report that um, makes a lot of sense. And Coors is embroiled in a liberal advertising scandal. Miller Lite's chief of marketing spent years flopping from one liberal cause to another. And now they think that uh, this this might affect them too. So we'll get into that in a moment. But I want you to hear a clip of audio that... Uh, I was sent and uh, I, I, I said, you know what? I got to talk about this one on the show because it was interesting to see the debate, right? And the chasm over this particular issue where it's a show where people are supposed to have different opinions, right? And they share their thoughts. It's a talk show. I think it's called The Real, runs on Fox. And uh, uh, Jeannie Mai is one of the hosts. Uh, Tamara Lowry from Sister Sisters, another one of the co-hosts. Um, Adrian Bailon, the former Cheetah Girl. She's uh, part of the the ensemble cast there, and and they're they're having a discussion on on Burton Ernie, and it takes a uh, a left turn. Listen to this. What is the message that you are portraying? I hear what you're saying, but I disagree because they do care, and your kids are learning. At five I, years old and at three years old, my daughter is in thinking that. Oh, okay, let me finish really quick. No, all I'm saying is. I was that girl. I learned how to speak I'm English. I'm speaking from my kids and my experience. So I, you can speak from yours. Right, right. Okay? Right. So I'm just saying, Tam, that for me, I had to learn from them, too. I learned watching Sesame Street to learn how to speak English. And Bert and Ernie were my best friends. I believed okay. in them. And I learned from them how to have a happy and healthy relationship. What's wrong? But did you no, care if they were, were gay or not? Right? 
but I learned how that relationship works. So when Sesame Street says that they're not gay, it says to me that being gay is not okay. That's the problem. All right, so I, I heard this, and again, I haven't read anything on this topic or anything like that, but I can tell you, I've never thought that Bert and Ernie were gay. I always thought they were roommates, uh, maybe cousins, maybe brothers, but really never really thought about it. I just thought they happened to live in that place and they were roommates or whatever. I didn't even know what a roommate was, but I never thought that Bert and Ernie uh, were, were a thing, right? Bernie, if you will. <laughs> I just never crossed my mind. And yeah, it didn't matter to me. Right. I mean, that's just as simple as it is. And to hear this argument being made on television that Bert and Ernie, uh, you know, are gay or not gay or whatever the case is, it, it, it just it's one more thing to talk about. And again, this has happened, you know, for years. There's been talk about Bert and Ernie, um, you know, I mean, NBC News in 2018 um, says that an NBC, uh, excuse me, a, a Sesame Street writer claimed that Bert and Ernie are indeed a gay couple, right? And then, and then they're saying that that it's not, and and uh, then the guy backtracks and says, no, 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 my my uh, my comments were misinterpreted, and the um, you know they they end on this idea that they don't even have sexual orientations, because, and I think that's evident that they didn't have sexual orientations because that was never part of the show, right? They were showing all sorts of things. Uh, not that, but it was interesting to see this, this exchange between the two hosts where the, the one who, uh, is making the case, uh, Tamara Lowry, she's making the case that it doesn't matter to a five-year-old kid if Burton Ernie are gay, cause they're not watching it for that purpose. And, and I would agree with that. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I don't think anybody is watching Burton Ernie on Sesame street because they want to know that. Or, you know, because they think that they're gay, right? I don't think anybody's ever done that. Uh, but she made uh, this allusion to, I watched them learning how to speak English, which is fantastic. Um, she made all these comments, but at the end of the day, I think that the truth remains, there's not a kid watching that for that purpose. Because I didn't watch shows to say anything like, uh, oh yeah, because, you know, they're straight. And I think straight is cool. You know, I, I don't think that that, it's a thing. People just don't do that. But if I'm wrong, you let me know because obviously this is a thing and people are debating it on television. And it makes me think of how like we're trying to change not not only the status quo, but the default, right? Listen to this. So um, Colorado University uh, Boulder advises students to assume that others are transgender or non-binary and in doing so to use gender neutral pronouns. Now, just imagine this. You go through life. And again, if, if like me, I'm 45 now. So if I'm 45, why, why do I need to live my life in a, in a world where there are women, there are men, there are others, but by and large, women are women, men are men. Why is it that I or anybody else should be required to presume that I don't know what you are? You look like a woman, but I don't know. Shoot. Why are we changing the norm? That's insanity to me. Now, I understand they'll make the debate. Well, it was once the norm to treat black people poorly. It was once the norm to make them go to the back of the bus. 
So they're trying to normalize something that I think, you know, there isn't a Bible out there that is going to tell you that, that it's wrong to be black, right? But that's not necessarily the case with homosexuality. In, I think, every one of the major religions, global religions like uh, the Abrahamic faiths, uh, Judaism, Christianity, um, the Muslim faith, all of them speak against homosexuality. Now, I know that there are those that are out there that say, no, well, you know, we, we make exceptions and we do that. This doesn't mean to treat homosexuals poorly, right? It, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that based on the scripture and thousands and thousands of years of tradition, this is not the preferred um, situation, orientation, whatever you want to say. So this is a, a big deal. And, and in so much as people will try to dismiss it, you can't. You can't just compare these things like saying, you know, it was once, uh, you know, we once put Japanese people in internment camps. Yes, we did. And it was wrong. But this, this is not a call to treat people poorly because of how they feel. This is just thousands of years of tradition and scriptures in faith uh, or scriptures of faith or various faiths that don't condone that behavior. So this is a real conundrum for those who want to justify this and say, no, 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 that's fine. This is why there's been such a push to, uh, uh, towards atheism or agnosticism and away from faith and why younger people, uh, it's a younger than me, are, are happy to buy the idea or, uh, you know, accept the idea that if, if you are a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're any one of these people that, that um, has a faith that, that believes in their faith, believes what their Holy Scripture says, that somehow you or your faith or some part of this is bigoted towards these people. And I guess that's fair if they want to have that, that conversation. And it, to me, it, the proof is that it shows that you cannot have the presence of what these faiths would label as sin, whatever it is, murder, whatever, whatever sin you want to pick, and the sin of choice, they can't coexist. And I think from the perspective of those that adhere to these faiths, that's a good thing because nobody wants a society or a system or a situation where sin like that persists. But now I don't want to get into a big theological discussion, but I find it interesting how we are trying to change the status quo, recreate this new normal when I don't think it's a hump we could ever get over because of what the hump is. So you let me know your thoughts. I'm at 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Breaking it down. It's 
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, we're going to get to your calls on this topic and more. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Quincy, Illinois, WTAD. Rich, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for taking my phone call. Likewise. Um, you were you were talking about uh, gender identity, et cetera. My father was manager of a major symphony orchestra, and being in the business that he was, he had a lot of international friends. A lot of them were English. And uh, we grew up as a family uh, knowing these people. My father would often host a number of conductors and musicians and uh, composers, et cetera, uh, mm-hmm. who we called uncle or aunt as we were growing up. But as I became an adult, I kind of understood what the situation was because they would show up with a friend and we never talked about it and they were accepted as part of the family. We maintained good friendship over the years and I don't understand why we're, I'm like you debating about this right now. Yeah, exactly. And this is so fascinating to me because it's not like all of us grew up this way, right? Everybody had somebody somewhere that, was uh, homosexual, and it was always like, oh, okay, they're that. Now, it's all of a sudden we re- we're re- rewiring everything and making the default. We have to presume that this is that and that, and, you know, this goes beyond being gay. This goes into transgender. But I- I'm I'm also with you. I'm lost. I think everybody, you know, somebody somewhere, whether it's a member of their family or somebody they've worked with or whatever. And... And I, you know, I, I, I just can't, it doesn't fit in my brain. I know, I know. Uh, this is uh, making every uh, leftist that hates me and, and calls the show very happy. But it really, I, I just can't comprehend how we've gotten to this place. I know how we got here. I just don't understand why, Rich. Right. Yeah, you're 45, I'm 61. And I'm, I'm just not getting, I'm not really getting it. I might one of these days, but right now I'm, I'm just kind of lost. Yeah, it's a it's a real shame uh, because I think that it's unfair to, to so many. And I think this is why we've seen a real shift um, in in just a lot of things. Like there's a lot of feminists now, even uh, lesbian feminists that are taking exception to what's going on because they, too, are thinking, you know what? Uh, we, we had to come up in a different time. I think one of the most notable uh, is uh, Martina Navratilova, that the, the tennis champ that you know, she she constantly takes issue with like men and women's sports because it was not easy for her to to become a tennis champ as a woman and having to come up the ramps, et cetera, the, the ranks, excuse me. And um, I just find it fascinating, just fascinating that, you know, now people look at her and they say, hmm, this is uh, this is no bueno. Right. You're not allowed to to do that anymore. You better be on our side or not. And I think ultimately it's going to rip apart the feminist movement. But thank you for your call, Rich. Excellent point. And I appreciate the story. Uh, Big shout out to everybody on WTAD in Quincy, Illinois. Let us uh, continue. Let's go to Mike. He's on the road near Bowling Green, Kentucky, WKCT. Mike, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Go for it, brother. America's listening. Yeah, I'm here in Bowling Green. I'm a truck driver, 
and I travel all over the eastern coast here. And I run into a lot of these people that are transgender and homosexual and all that. And the way I look at it, God gave you a gender. And no matter what you do, as I say, with the plumbing, if you were born a man, you're still a man. If you're born a woman, you're still a woman. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good point that you make. It reminds me of a... Um of something that I saw earlier, and let me see if I could pull it up fast enough, uh, but it was a, a meme on one of the social medias, and it says, a biological male won a women's beauty pageant in Nevada. And then the bottom of it, um, you know, has a picture of like Leonardo DiCaprio making a funny face, but <laughs> it says, what a progressive message to send to young girls. And this is the message, and it's tongue-in-cheek, obviously. No matter what you do, men will always be better than you at it, including being a woman. Sincerely, the Democrats, right? And it's fascinating, but there's some truth to it, which is why it makes it so funny. And I just can't for the life of me think why we would want to send such a message uh, like, you know, a beauty pageant where, you know, women are competing in beauty and, and different talent that they have and allowing men to, why not just have, you know, uh, Miss Trans USA so that they can compete in a category of their own, Mike? The whole thing is just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, letting men say they're women competing in women's sports, it's unfair. No matter how you look at it, I mean, it just it just doesn't make any sense at all to me, you know, any of it. Yeah, well, listen, brother, you're right. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it makes sense here either, but if there's anybody out there that wants to sh- explain and uh, show us how it makes sense, give us a call, 833 833- for Valdez, 833-482-5337. And thank you again, Mike. The the interesting thing here is that we're not alone and people are trying to be accepting. It's not about acceptance versus rejection. It's not. I mean, there's a story in the New York Post, University of Wyoming, sorority sisters say they're living in fear because of a trans member of their society, their um, sorority, excuse me. We'll get to that one in a little bit absolutely crazy you're saying this person is 260 pounds and six foot two and is visibly aroused this is a man posing as a woman living with a bunch of women in college come on really come on anyway more on your calls and more i see more calls are coming in and we got a couple on hold don't go anywhere we're coming right back i'm rich valdez it's america at night Valdez with an S. 
All right, so there's a bunch of stories I want to get to. I don't know if we're going to have time for all of them. You've got some crazy stuff going on with Dianne Feinstein, the senator from California. She says she's never even been gone from the Senate. We'll try and get into that before the end of the program. Uh, We also have six people on the FBI terror watch list that were apprehended at the U.S. southern border. Um, Kind of flying through these because there's just a lot I want to get to, plus your calls. Um, uh, Congresswoman from Colorado, Boebert, uh, is getting divorced, which I don't think is really huge news. And I don't mean like I knew that. I just mean lots of people get divorced. Um, but the big story here is that CBS reported on that, and they said she lost the 2022 election. That was a lie, and they've since corrected it. Um, I mentioned those sorority members being afraid of what's going on with their transgender member. And uh, then there's some ugly stories about violence and little kids. I'll get to those a little bit later. Taco Bell wants to cancel the trademark on Taco Tuesday. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And uh, a a student was suspended for recording their teacher using a racial slur. Unbelievable. Plus, this is one, I mean, they're so good. I'm just going to throw them all out there. We're not going to get to them all. But um, maybe this is how I'll I'll add these to the podcast, the ones I don't get to because they're so crazy. Uh, But they're interesting uh, articles here. At the average age of a car in the United States, I want you to guess what that is, because I I was totally wrong on this one. And guess what? In California, strippers have formed a union. Anyway, let's get to your calls. I know you have some comments on things that you were going to mention before. I saw that John from Vero Beach had called in. Uh, I think we lost John. That's too bad. I was going to go to you, John. Let's go to Bill in Rock Springs, Wyoming. K-U-G-R, go right ahead. I, well, uh, I told your screener, I, I have to wonder what we would do with all of the Catholic priests that have been, been demonstrated to be molesting small children if they weren't priests. Yeah, well, what do you think we should do? I think we should treat them like the criminals that they are and prosecute them and throw them in jail if that's where they belong. Yeah, I agree with you. You're, you're probably being a lot friendlier than I would be. Uh, listen, yeah, I, I, I don't care what your job is. Um, if you're if you're hurting children, you got to go and you got to pay the, the price to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, a matter of fact, I, I personally think if you have a position where uh, of trust and authority where, you know, a child might listen to you, like being a teacher, being a cop, uh, being a priest, anything where a kid might not immediately say, you know, like if you worked at Walmart or Target and tried to molest a kid, they'd be like, hey, get the hell out of here. (laughs) That's not normal. You're not in charge of me. But if you're a teacher or a priest or something like that, absolutely a coach. These are people that children are, you know, taught to trust. And it's an incredible violation of the public trust, of the trust that the children should have for their immediate surroundings and the people in their immediate surroundings. So I agree with you. I, I say lock them up, throw away the key, you know, put them in a jail with a lot of tough guys who hate child molesters. But then what would, what should we be doing with uh, all of the gender groomers as well? Because they're basically leading into that. Sure. Well, listen, I think anybody who is trying to desensitize America, desensitize the, the current generation to try and make it seem like uh, this is normal, like it's okay to perform these, these drag shows or what they call all ages drag shows, the issue is not drag. Right. The issue is having a drag show where there's a a man dressed as a woman gyrating 
and and you know doing these uh, seductive sexual type of uh, dances where they invite children and their children are encouraged to to tip and participate. This goes in line with a clip of audio I had a while back. I don't know if we still have it, but it was an excellent piece of audio from the Joe Pine show back, I think, in 1954, where he had a guest who was saying that it was a big part of the uh, homosexual agenda back in 1954 to try and normalize um, this intergenerational stuff where, you know, like to make it normal for kids so that they would uh, eventually have a new audience to pitch their lifestyle to. And it was a very interesting take. And at the time, it was cutting edge and provocative. And I would say if we heard it today, we'd probably still think it's, you know, provocative and maybe not cutting edge, but more uh, along the lines of bigoted or or uh, prejudicial because that's, you know, anything that goes against the um, the norm is labeled that. But very fascinating clip. And if I could find it again, I'll play it for you because I think you'll appreciate it. And it's an interesting take on how things have changed, but not that much. Thank you for the call, Bill. I appreciate it. Rock Springs, Wyoming, KUGR. Really appreciate hearing from you. And uh, let's see. Let's continue. Let us go to Gil calling from Manila in the Philippines. Go right ahead, Gil. Yes, uh, Rich. Thank you for taking the call. Muchísimas gracias. Uh, I had to chime in because your first guest, uh, uh, America's Mayor uh, Rudy Giuliani, um, you were talking about my congressperson from El Paso, uh, Ms. Escobar. And, uh, Sorry to hear that. I, he, yeah, well, yeah. Well, you know, I'm going back to the States here in a month or so, and uh, the first thing I'm going to do is change my address to a different uh, congressional district. Are you coming to her. New York? She's a, uh, yeah, I'll be going sometime. I haven't got the exact date yet where I'll, when I'll be there, but it's, it's probably the end of June. Well, whenever uh, you're in New York, I'm going to buy you your favorite beer. Okay, that sounds good. But uh, let me let, let me tell you about Miss Escobar. Uh, she uh, and her predecessor Beto O'Rourke have used that congressional seat only to advance their own political careers, hoping mm-hmm. for something higher up. Okay, um, I'm sure you're aware that uh, 2019 there was a mass murder at the. Uh, Walmart in El Paso. Oh, yeah. Um, 23, 23 people were killed, uh, a whole bunch more wounded by... And it was a hate crime by some fellow from uh, close to Dallas who didn't like Mexicans, so he, uh, he expressed himself in that manner. Um, like my a psycho. good friend... Yeah, right. Well, my, my, my good friend, uh, the um, district attorney in El Paso at that time, um, he uh, retired, but he brought um, uh, the death. He wanted the death penalty in the state court for this guy. Now, uh, he's now been uh, reassigned to the um, federal prosecutor's office for West mm-hmm. Texas because he wanted to pursue this case. But uh, Joe Biden has taken the death penalty off the table for anything now in uh, federal court. There's no more federal death penalty. I don't know if you're aware of that, but uh, that's something that yeah, Joe I th- Biden... I think that happened. Um, yeah, there was a big uh, debate about that uh, that 
Bill Barr was uh, debating. And uh, I guess that's where we are now. Anyway, what's the bottom line here, Gil? Well, the bottom the bottom line is this: um, you were talking about Burton Ernie. Um, ah, yes. I don't know if you recall. I don't recall some years ago they accused one of the Teletubbies of being gay. But <laughs> I do know, remember that the, the one that, that yeah. Well, the, the, there's another one that you, you may you may remember, and that's uh, they they talk about SpongeBob and Patrick who's trying to get into yeah. his square pants all the time. But uh, that's, that's that's another one, and that's uh, I stole that joke from Gilbert Godfrey, by the way, but about SpongeBob and Patrick. But uh, I know you're familiar with those guys because when your kids were small, uh, Sponge at the same time my grand about my grandchildren, uh, SpongeBob was a big deal and um, lives in a pineapple under the sea. Yeah, you know it's funny. I never let my kids watch SpongeBob. I thought he was a weirdo in many ways, and I thought he was funnier for grown-ups than for kids, and the humor was just a little bit advanced every now and again. So I, n- I never did it. Didn't let them watch Teletubbies. Um, they got Dora the Explorer. Uh, believe it or not, there were some um, Christian cartoons. There was a whole network from uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network back then called Smile of a Child Network that had a lot of um, really good programming, and Barney was cool, too back then. And, um, yeah, it was very wholesome. My, my kids, uh, upbringing, I guess probably why, you know, I lived in this little bubble of conservatism and, and, and now today I look at what's going on and I think, Oh my gosh, what is going on here? It's just an absolute, uh, free fall I feel. But, uh, yeah, Gil, I think you raised some good points and I appreciate it. Uh, I'm up against the clock here, so we'll talk again real soon. Godspeed to you, my friend. We're going to get to the rest of your calls uh, as soon as we get back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. So what was the story? So the average age of cars on the road, this is an interesting one. Uh, I just want to share this with you. I'm going to get to your calls right now. we got a, a few people holding. But the average age of a car. Now, I was thinking, because I always used to look outside and say, you know, when I was a kid, I remember seeing... So many old cars, and it sounds like I'm doing an ad, but I'm not. <laughs> but I really remembered old cars all over the place. And and I feel like now when my kids were kids or even as young adults, they um, most people have newer cars. Like their friends have newer cars. When I was a kid, my first car was a 1989 Pontiac Grand Am. Um, it was pretty old at the time. And, and I loved it. I loved it. It was, it was beat up. I, I had cars with rust that I loved. I was proud of them, right? Because back then it didn't matter if your car was beat up or not, if it was a rust bucket or not, you had a car and that was cool in and of itself. Now I see my daughter and some of her contemporaries and friends, they have all sorts of cars. And I think is it that people are doing better in life and they can afford to buy their kids nicer cars 
Or is it that just just newer cars on the road? And I look around, I can't find a chrome bumper anywhere. Very, very hard to find a chrome bumper. Like old cars that used to have chrome bumpers. It's just not a thing. But according to Road and Track magazine, the average car is now a record 12 and a half years old. And that they're saying that that's older than normal. The average age of a passenger car is 12 and a half years old. This is according to research from S&P, Standard & Poor's Global Mobility. They analyzed data from 284 million vehicles currently registered on the road, finding the average age uh, grew more than last year by three months. So last year was 12.3 years old. So uh, interesting. I would have guessed five or six years was probably the average age of, of, uh, of the car on the road. Because I don't see a ton of old cars on the road. But maybe it's just me. Maybe I don't know what's going on here. Maybe I spent too much time, uh, you know, in the studio. I don't know. But uh, I'd love your thoughts on that because that's interesting to me. It really is. We're going to get to your calls. Let's go to Jesse. She's in Durango, Colorado. K-D-G-O. Jesse, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. Yes, um, two Two things with, uh, well, with the cars Obama's cash for conquerors got rid of a lot of them, and they're continuing to try and get rid, destroy everything that's got a carburetor. And (laughs) kids, yeah, you can actually adjust it to get fifty miles of a gallon instead, and they don't want people knowing that. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. You're right; they've done away with everything carburetor, and they're expensive to find. And soon, even like even non-carburetor combustion engines, those are going to be hard to get, uh, if not outlawed. You know, I just the other day I was thinking, I was like, man, it's it's amazing how, you know, I'm an SUV guy. I've been one for many years. And I, I just think, uh, imagine, you know, me driving an electric SUV. And I've seen some nice ones, but I just don't know if I'm sold by that. But anyway, go right ahead. But, yeah, you'd end up having to stop every hour and a half to recharge the darn thing. Right. Another control issue to where you can't go any anywhere on long trips anymore. And as far as the kids are concerned and the schooling, I'm dead set against what they've been teaching and force-feeding the kids. And even with the, um, there was a deal earlier today that the Department of Education director decided that anybody that any school that does not allow uh, the, class, the trans classes for pre preschool and up, as well as uh, the kids in the swapping. Was this girls, in Colorado? Boys into gr- well, no, nationally. Hmm. This is nationally. Red woman. It uh, it was earlier on uh, Mark's show. But the um, that they're going to stop all food supplies for the the hot meals programs. Oh so, yeah, this is. Uh, I just want to fill the audience in because I think you're raising a good point. I want you to hang on so we could play the clip of audio and then I could get your reaction to it uh, because this is uh, you're talking about a congressional hearing where the Secretary of Education is talking with Representative Jim Banks about taking away school lunches for any schools where boys are not allowed to play in girls' sports. And 
I think it's shocking. So uh, I want everybody to hear what you're talking about. We're going to get to it right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Are you, are, do you support taking away school lunches from kids who go to schools where boys aren't allowed to play on girls' sports teams? We are promoting a, the most rigorous, intensive academic programming under the Raise the Bar. I would love to share more do information. Do you support? So he wants to share more information on how they're not allowing uh, kids to eat if they don't allow transgenderism in their school, right? Yeah, I said it. They're not saying it. He wants to obfuscate. He wants to run around. He wants to make it sound like it's something else. And I want to thank you, um, Jesse, for pointing that out because this is crazy, right? It's all sorts of crazy, and it's not what should be happening. Thank you for your call. I really appreciate it, and thanks for bringing that to my attention. Uh, Let's continue to wrap up with George in Kansas City, Kansas, KMAJ in Topeka. Go right ahead. Hey, how are you, sir? Wonderful, thank you. Hey, well, I got to commend you. Um, I, I've been listening for a couple years, and um, you're really uh, patient with people and let them speak their mind. Thanks. And a lot of guys. I'd love know, to be patient with you, but you've got like 25 or 30 seconds before the music kicks in, so go okay. for it. Okay, all right, quick, quick, quick. I'll go quick then. Um, vice presidential candidates for Trump, assuming he's the, the, the man. I like Tim Scott, Ted Cruz. Or go really moderate, Tulsi Gabbard, and is there any chance that DeSantis would go into the vice? And why has DeSantis not gone in yet? Yeah, I don't think DeSantis runs. Everybody disagrees with me. It's coming. It's days away. I don't think it happens at all. I really don't. Uh, I think DeSantis only gets in if Trump says he's out. Uh, it's it makes sense for him any other way. <clears throat> Number one. Number two, uh, Gabbard, I think, you know, she was the vice chair of Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, <clears throat> I, I know for people like me, that doesn't sit very well, even though she's had a change of heart. I'd rather somebody who's got a little bit more uh, conservative bona fides to, to be the vice president, presidential person. Um, <clears throat> Tim Scott, I think he's probably too moderate. Uh, and the other person that you mentioned, I think, uh, Ted Cruz, I just don't think he would ever do it. Um, I think he's, he would be best, honestly, in my personal opinion, playing fantasy politics. I would love to see Supreme court justice, Ted Cruz. I think that would be amazing. Um, I think the, um, you know, I, I don't know who Trump's going to pick, but I would suspect probably somebody like Ron Johnson, uh, somebody who's kind of middle of the country that uh, has been a, a very faithful supporter, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that as well. Appreciate it, Bob in Nashville. Uh, I mean, excuse me, George in Kansas City. And sorry, Bob in Nashville, I couldn't get to you because we're out of time. Take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, we'll do it again tomorrow. And stay right here on this station. There's more good programming. Peace. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.